Hello and welcome to another edition of Nervous Pop. Ah, fucking hell. <laughs> that was cold now, is it? That's the reaction of most people when they see a new episode lands in the inbox. There's another episode. Oh, fucking hell. Let's try again. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Hello and welcome to another edition of Nerdfest Podcast. With us today we have... Ian McLaughlin. Peter Johnson. Andy Chandler. And I'm John Farben. This week we've got some bus or bluffs. Ian's got a super special sexy quiz for us. And we'll be talking about some of the new things that have landed in our streaming services this week. So let's get started. So there's been a lot of TVs dropped this week so much we've got stranger things we've got obi-wan kenobi what else have we had somebody feed phil is back yay <laughs> it, it, unless the end of the sentence is somebody feed phil to an alligator i am not watching that show it's shameful shameful <laughs> he's a happy hungry man traveling across the sea and the land trying to understand the art of pasta pork chicken and lamb and i don't understand why you can't enjoy that and that was almost like Beat poetry there. I that thought was so. I thought he was yeah. deliberately writing is it, is, there. That's is that the theme tune? Yeah, of course it is. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were making it up as he went. Um, well, thank you for believing in my improbability. But I, I thought you would have known that. You've watched Somebody Feed Phil because you're not a terrible person. What? <laughs> no, I'm also a terrible person. Oh, God. Ian, have you seen Somebody Feed Phil? What is it? Oh, no. <laughs> Basically, this man goes round in awfully staged encounters and goes, oh, you've got a food truck. Look, it's a sandwich. Yum, yum, yum. This is the best sandwich I've ever had. Look at the meat. Yum, yum, yum. And then it goes on, and then he goes to a restaurant, and he walks into this restaurant, and the owner looks surprised, despite the fact there's a fucking full canvas set up there, clearly, <laughs> in order for this to happen. And he goes, oh, what's on your restaurant? Where do you start? Oh, well, my mother taught me to cook, and here's some shellfish. And he goes, yum, yum, yum. This is the best shellfish I've ever had. Yum, yum, yum. And then he has a video call with a relative, and then there's some credits, and then this happens over and over again, but in a different city every time. So what John means to say is that it's a travel and food documentary program on Netflix, and it's hosted by Phil Rosenthal, who is the writer of a number of sitcoms, most notably, um, I nearly said Somebody Feed Raymond. Mm. Um, (laughs) Everybody loves Raymond. Uh, and he's just a, a lovely, friendly, funny Jewish man. Um, I mentioned that he's Jewish because he mentions it a lot. And yeah, he goes to exotic locations and eats delicious food and meets people. And he's very pleasant and enjoyable and fun. And um, fuck you, John. Do you know why the show was called Everybody Loves Raymond? Why? Because nobody loves Phil. <laughs> very harsh. <laughs> On a happier note, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm. Mm. Sorry, that was my lightsaber noise. I loved it. I thought it was really good. We've seen the first two episodes uh-huh. now. I think have we all seen them? You know, you, I have you seen up them. I'm up to date. I, th- I thought the second one was much better than the first one. We had much more of an idea of where it was going to go and what it was going to do. I liked the first one. I liked the idea of showing Obi Wan Kenobi kind of at his lowest state almost. And I thought Ewan McGregor is really good at having like this beaten down, worn character who's obviously going to come back to life somehow over the next few episodes. So I really enjoyed that. I, I kind of like, was a bit like, oh, tatooine again, which, yeah. yeah, but we move away from that fairly quickly. We seem to be in that same city mm-hmm. thing they've built 
presumably somewhere in a desert on a back lot far away. I'd be surprised if like, 90% of it isn't just shot on those um, big HD screens that they use for The Mandalorian. Hmm. But it looks really good. I mean, it looks better than... They, they, they start with a montage of the prequels and you realise quite how shoddy the effects were yeah, in the prequels. Yeah, I really noticed that. And the fact that we're now on a TV show that looks 10 times better than the films did. Still occasionally ropey CGI, I thought. Mm. The um, weird space camel was yeah. a little bit off and some other creatures. Um, but the majority of it looks pretty good, the, the sets and the costumes and so on. Mm. Uh, it's some of the worst directing I've ever seen. Some of really? the chase, some of the chase sequences oh, are ridiculous. Oh, yeah. one just bit, just yeah. cuts left, right, and you go, "What's going on?" And like, suddenly, like they're on a rooftop, and suddenly he's down next to the person he's supposed to be with. Uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. And uh, and the young person that I'm trying to talk about is so bad that I wish I they were really good. I disagree with this. Um, I think for for their age, they're probably about as good as you can expect them to be. But that means they're not a very good actor, and also fucking terrible at running maybe this is because (laughs) they're not on proper sets a lot of the time and um they've only got about 10 feet of green screen to run through so they have to do it in slow motion Um, she does have quite a kind of heavy role to play in the thing and there's some quite um uh, sophisticated dialogue for such a young person but i just (laughs) i just keep imagining going yeah but we need to keep the senate together so the sun will come out tomorrow (laughs) annoying little stage school brat there's a chase sequence in the first episode where they're clearly running at about a quarter the speed they could run (laughs) again i think it's because they're they're, they're on sets but didn't pick up at the time it's flea from the red hot chili peppers i caught that yeah Yeah. oh i wondered why i recognized him i did for ages i went oh it's you There's a chase scene in the second episode as well, which is equally awkward and looks like adults just humouring a child. Oh, you're so quick, I can't mm-hmm. catch you. <laughs> but apart from that, it has lots of niceness about it. One thing I like about it is is uh, Ewan McGregor and I think Obi-Wan mm-hmm. as a character has potential. The rest of it hasn't grabbed me at all. And mm. I'm more sensitive to being annoyed and tired by all the Star Wars mythology and people you hate all Star Wars after 1983, though, to clarify, don't you? Because it's terrible, yeah. Um, <laughs> although the uh, all Star Wars since 83 generally has a uniting issue in that it's too focused on nostalgic references and cramming in my- mythological mm. details for the sake of it. And there's one particular example towards the end of episode two, and I won't say specifically what it was, but someone uses a name that they should refer to this person by a different name Everyone apart from the central character should use this one name for this person. Only Obi-Wan should know this character by another name. Oh, and, I see what you but mean. Then, mm-hmm. But then there was another character who used both the names and it just it, it, it spoiled a little that, moment. That did jar for me, actually. I noticed that. Jar jar. Jar jar. <laughs> and this is, this is a small thing, but it's kind of demonstrative of how they just cram references in and details that aren't necessary at the detriment of the story. The one thing I really like about it is the score. Mm. Yes, musical score is yep. very. It, it pays real homage to Williams, and I think that works really well. And that's what makes it feel like Robbie, a movie. Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams. <laughs> yeah. yeah. John Williams wrote it, didn't he? He's in the credits somewhere. Oh no, that's because they use the th- reuse the themes. The theme. Yeah. Oh yeah. I should pay attention. Do you notice the other nice little cameo? The uh, homeless war veteran. Yeah, I felt he was, should be someone significant and couldn't. He work was Tamira Morrison, who plays Boba Fett. Oh, so is he? A clone? Yes, because oh, obviously it's, it's the clone army in Revenge of the Sith who are all cloned from... Yeah, I didn't realise because I didn't instantly fall asleep as soon as he appeared on screen, <laughs> which would have given it away. That's a really nice idea for a cameo, but getting Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, who's 
potentially the worst actor in the universe. Uh-huh. He's not bad as a nihilist in The Big Lebowski, which I know is not one of your favourite films. No, it's not. But Andy was in Back to the Future, so he's excused. <laughs> the good thing is, like, I mean, if that took like three months to film, that's three months of Ed Hot Chili Peppers can't be making another fucking terrible <laughs> album. <laughs> that I think police should be encouraged to act more and more. You know why they've stopped making albums? No, they can't sell them anymore. They have to give it away, give it away, oh. give it away. <laughs> I found a pile of them under the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Thus end of the chili jokes. I couldn't come up with one for California. <laughs> I, I was thinking of that as well. I couldn't think of it. I saw them live once and they genuinely were naked with socks over their penises. And this enhanced the music somehow? No, I don't know what. I mean, I, I lasted about 15 minutes and then went to see, I believe, Munson in the <laughs> in a tent around the corner. God. Charles or Shirley. <laughs> but I think I'll stick with Obi-Wan. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah it, kind of, it kind of fits into that world quite nicely and, and those empty years between New Hope and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, even I'll keep watching it, I think. Um, and I, I want to see Obi-Wan develop more of a character because over the mm. three prequel films, he had none whatsoever. So um, I think I'd like to see Ewan McGregor get a chance to get his teeth into something for a change. The Star Wars things tend to be a bit action-focused, and that tends to work less well on TV, mm-hmm. whereas the Marvel things, the things that work best out of those shows, seem to be the sort of character-based things. So yeah. TV, in a way, should be exploring the characters mm-hmm. rather than just trying to give us the best movie-like action scene they can. I agree. Obi-Wan is, is doing a little bit of character stuff, but it's largely plot-driven, I think, and I don't care for that. I'd rather he was just sat moping in a cave for ages, <laughs> ideally in French with subtitles. <laughs> uh, that would suit me down to the ground. And a volleyball just rolls onto the shot and then he's kicked out over and over again. Absolutely. <laughs> Who wouldn't watch that? So we have a buffer bluff. Oh, yes. Andy, you go first. Uh, right, so mine is about films that centre on anthropomorphism of household objects. Mm. So number one is The Brave Little Toaster. Before there was Toy Story, there was this 1987 animation about anthropomorphic household appliances, including the titular toaster, a lampstand, a blanket, a radio, and a vacuum cleaner. Like Woody and Buzz, they have lives of their own until their human owners show up, at which point they freeze and allow themselves to be used, and they bloody love it. The story sees the gang venture out into the wide world in search of their master, whom they haven't seen in a long time. They have lots of dangerous and exciting adventures before eventually ending up in a junkyard on a conveyor belt heading towards a big crusher thing. Unlike in Toy Story 3, there are no aliens to come rescue them with a big claw. So the brave little toaster earns his name by jumping into the gears of the machine, committing suicide and saving his friends in the process. (sighs) Number two, the healthy recipes of Oz. A 1993 adaptation of The Wizard of Oz produced by American chef Julia Child as a fun way to teach kids to eat more fruit and vegetables. It is a combination of live action and then stop motion slash claymation for the scenes in Oz. Dorothy is a little girl who won't eat her vegetables and has a big pile of candy instead. This gives her a stomach ache which she sleeps off on the couch. She dreams of travelling to the magical land of Oz where she makes many new friends who are all healthy foods she previously wouldn't eat. Instead of munchkins, there are now friendly chickpeas, and the lion, tin man, and scarecrow are replaced by broccoli, carrot, and beetroot. Dorothy travels with her new friends to the fabled Emerald Kitchen. Along the way, they are attacked by the Wicked Witch of Junk Food and her flying chocolate bar minions. (laughs) 
Eventually, they reach the kitchen where they meet Julia Child herself, who tells them of delicious ways to cook Dorothy's new vegetable friends and sends <laughs> her home with a newfound appreciation for healthy eating. And cannibalism. Oh, well, it's only Dorothy eating them, so it's technically fine. And when, when was this made? 93. It sounds very 60s. <laughs> it sounds like someone was on something when they wrote that. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy then wakes up on the couch ready for dinner and rushes to the table to eat her now favourite vegetables. And number three, Le Ballon Rouge, or The Red Balloon. A 1956 depressing short French film about a young boy, Pascal, who finds and befriends a sentient red balloon. It follows him wherever he goes, to school, to church, around the streets of Paris, everywhere except home. Pascal's mother doesn't trust the balloon, so won't let it in their apartment. So at night, it hovers ominously outside his bedroom window like something from It. (laughs) One day, a gang of older boys, jealous of the balloon, chase Pascal through the city, before eventually catching up and murdering the balloon in front of his eyes. There's a happy ending, though, as all the other balloons in Paris come to Pascal's aid and lift him up for a fun ride over the city. I think it's supposed to teach kids about death or something. So, in each case, the lead cute character dies uh yeah that that wasn't intentional but that's <laughs> the theme i've arrived at is it's um anthropomorphism uh children's things and gruesome death so i think i've seen two of these i've definitely heard of two of these i've definitely seen one because there was the red balloon which was like the alien one and then there was like the alien sequel which was 99 red balloons which is where the song comes from <laughs> That might be a lie. (laughs) Good song, though. I don't know if it's false memory syndrome, but I seem to remember a French film about a young boy and a balloon. Mm. Would it convince you more if I told you that uh, Le Ballon Rouge won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay? That would convince me less. (laughs) (laughs) I assume uh, Wizard of Oz is still in copyright. There's a weird copyright thing with The Wizard of Oz where you can get the rights to the book quite easily, but you can't use anything that was in the MGM film. That was added for the film. For example, like the Ruby Slippers, I think, were not in the book. And therefore, you would have to get a separate license to use the Ruby Slippers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Flying monkeys, I think. The idea of her making all these friends and then cooking and eating them uh-huh. Sounds something more Hannibal Lecter rather than Dorothy. I mean, this was '93. Was Julia Childs around then? Yeah, I I, I looked it up um, for <laughs> when I made the thing up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen the balloon thing. I've not seen, but I'm aware of the Brave Little Toaster. I know the name. Yeah, me too. W- would it help if I told you that there was a sequel called The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars? I thought he was dead. I think he gets reanimated. There's necromancy and stuff in it. (laughs) Maybe like some guy, you know, when you go to the skips and there's always like some dodgy looking guy hanging around the electrical equipment going, I'll have some bit of copper there. And it's like Charles Play 2 and he takes the bit of copper and he builds a new toaster, but that little bit of copper has the sentience of the old toaster in and it comes back to life. If I was making a sequel, that's what I'd do. But then the brave little toaster would be pissed. It'd be like the pissed off little toaster. It, it, it tries to kill you, but it's a toaster, so all it can do is burn your toast and hope that the long-term health effects... <laughs> <laughs> of being a mild carcinogenic. Yeah. Wow. Um, you made the vegetables up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure of that one. Although I must say, not a million miles away from a misguided TV chef's idea of yeah. helping kids with nutrition. 
There was like an 80s cartoon series where like there were fruit and vegetables and stuff. Yeah, and it I was about, that. yeah, yeah. VeggieTales, I think it was called. Mm. Uh, Popeye and spinach and stuff. Wasn't that to try and get kids to eat spinach? Were they um, subsidised by the spinach marketing board? There was a thing, there was a, a textbook where uh, the amount of iron um, was, was noted uh, found in spinach and there was a typo and it said that there was way more iron in it than expected and this entered public consciousness. The idea that spinach is a super healthy mega food and I think Popeye just got it from that and it's, it's bullshit. And also, would we, would we like to have like fresh spinach? He always gets his out of a can, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Mm. Wimpy the hamburger guy is Popeye, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, is evangelising spinach, but also hamburgers. Ian, are you? Do you have a decision? Well, it's a tough one, but I'll. I know I'm, I'm pretty sure the balloon's correct. I have to go with the vegetables, even though it's probably true. No, you're all right. The healthy recipes of Oz was made up by <laughs> me. My original lie that I came up with was uh, a Jesus story uh, with fruits and vegetables and then uh, the bad guys were going to be uh, chocolate bars and so on. And then I looked it up and VeggieTales is there. So I came up with a lie that was a real thing. <laughs> I caught it this time and made something else up. <laughs> Stupid Jesus. Sorry to all our Christian listeners. <laughs> Stupid Jesus. Stupid imaginary Jesus. <laughs> Peter, would you like to go next? Sure. I have three random facts, one of which is bullshit. That's how the game works. It is. Number one. Comedian Michael McDonald claims to be the only person killed on screen by both Michael Myers and Mike Myers. Number two. Ryan Reynolds got his first job in Hollywood working with Arnold Schwarzenegger at a theme park. Number three. The Lyceum Theatre in London, where The Lion King's currently playing, was managed for nearly 30 years by the author of Dracula. Bram Stoker. Yes. You might want to ask a few questions to get details on it. Ryan Reynolds. Now, mm-hmm. I think I remember there being a Terminator ride mm. at the, uh, at the, was it Disney World, was it? No. It was Universal. 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 I, I, I'm sure I remember like, there being a Terminator ride where Stuntman would come out and... So I can imagine Ryan Reynolds being part of the, the cast of that. I can know. imagine Ryan Reynolds, John Connor. Or you could just be like bloke on motorbike or someone who gets blown off building. Yeah. But, you know, a young Ryan Reynolds looking for work. Yeah. So uh, I've, I've been on that ride. Mm. And what happens on the ride is it's a mix of video and real life. Mm. So like there's an actor playing Sarah Connor and that's playing John Connor and they... They run out and they've got like masks on, so you can't tell it's not there. But they go, "Oh, look! It's and here comes the Terminator." Then Arnold Schwarzenegger, being far too busy, appears on a video screen, and they interact with each other. But and I think Ryan Reynolds could have perhaps been the John Connor in the ride for a while. He was a bit too tall for that because he's six foot one, but he he did work the ride. He, yeah, but yes, you're you're right in that. I'm talking about T two Battle Across mm-hmm. Time. Which was the 3D yeah. spin-off directed by James Cameron? Okay, so that, that one's that one's clicked off. And th- this counts as working in Hollywood, does it? Yeah, well, it is in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Okay, let's pull you up on this because it's not at the one in California. It's only in the Florida one, as far as I was aware. No, it's both. Was I, ha- it, I it have both? actually been to it in both places. Okay, so, yeah. so oh, and the weird so, thing as yeah. well is uh, when I went was when. Arnie was actually governor of California, mm-hmm. so it was really weird going to see this when he was also. Yeah. The governor at the time. So who was the fellow who was killed by Mike and Michael Myers? He's a comedian called Michael McDonald. I just think, like, if you're thinking Michael Myers, Mike Myers, it's not a big jump to go to. What's a name? Michael McDonald. It's almost the same name. I I think Peter's got Michael in his mind. Well, so they're talking about probably Mike Myers, probably Austin Powers. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. This McDonald playing a baddie of some kind in it. Uh 
Mike Myers, of course, in one of the carpentry things. Halloween. One of the, one of the several remakes of Halloween. It was actually a later one. It was in Halloween Kills. Oh, so that's the most recent one. It does kill a lot of people in that. How would he be a comedian? Well, I was thinking he was a comedian because then that makes sense that he was in the Mike yeah. Myers. No, I, I was thinking I could imagine like a stuntman being in both and being chopped up. You could know. be a stuntman. Yeah. But he said comedian. Yeah. So that was my only alert. That I, and I love it. He's trying to lure me in because he knows it's the sort of thing <laughs> that I would be. I love the comedian's got a good face, you know. If you're going to chop people up, you need a you know, you need a short amount of screen time, and they need to look right. And w- when did Bram Stoker run the Lyceum Theatre? Well, he was still working there when he wrote Dracula. And when was that? Which was released in 1897. Okay. And where where does Bram Stoker originate from? He's Irish. His mother came out of a poof. Yes, I'm fully aware of the uh, <laughs> birds and the bees situation, John. <laughs> So during his lifetime, Stoker worked for famous Victorian actor Sir Henry Irving, who owned the Lyceum Theatre at that time. And he ended up managing it after meeting Irving because he gave him a great review in the Dublin Evening Mail. And then they met for dinner and became friends. That's Mm. nice. Like a Guardian Blind Dates column. Well, the, the Irving Lyceum thing's true. I think that's probably true, just because it's not the sort of thing Pete would make up. It's possible that it is another famous author and Peter has uh, swapped Bram Stoker in there. But Mike Myers, Michael Myers, Michael McDonald, too mm. many M's. I'm going for that. Okay. I think I'm also going for that as a bluff. And I shall just follow suit. Okay. You're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is true. Um, he w- appeared in both Austin Powers 1997 and Halloween Kills in 2021. The Lyceum Theatre in London was managed by Bram Stoker. The Lyceum was also the first venue for Madame Tussauds in 1802, and the first venue lit by gas in 1817, and Miss World was staged there for 15 years from 1951. Ryan Reynolds didn't work there. I made that up entirely, knowing that I would suck a John in with mention of a ride that he would know about. I'm sure many famous actors have done that job. Yes. I also had a prepared untrue story that he claimed on a chat show in 2008 that a few times he put on the wig to play Sarah Connor. (laughs) I can't believe that I just went with that one as completely true because John said, yeah, I've heard of that ride. And I I forgot (laughs) that Ryan Reynolds was the centre of that story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He did a few things in Canada, like he was in an X-Files and he was in, I think, a soap opera. And then basically he got in a van without telling anyone and buggered off down to Hollywood to try and find work. And I thought some of you might know that part of the story and would put two and two together. Mm-hmm. Good. So it's all an elaborate tissue of lies. Good bluff, though. It sucked us right, didn't it? Very well done. John, what have you got for us? I have for you sitcoms of the 1980s and early 90s that were fun family affairs until they went really, really dark in their last episode. <laughs> So this is Grim Endings of 1980s and 90s Family Sitcoms. Perfect. Um, All these sitcoms are real. Um, It's whether the ending is the true ending or not. Oh. Firstly, ALF, short for Alien Life Form. ALF was a man in a suit alien who crash-landed at a family's suburban home and was forced to live with them for four seasons whilst being kept secret. Hijinks ensued. All fun and games until the last episode where Alf leaves the house 
when he finds out that his family have come back to rescue him. And as he's about to be taken away to be reunited with his family, the FBI turn up, capture him, put him in a bag and drag him away to be tortured and experimented on. The end. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Series number two is Small Wonder. Small Wonder is a 1980s family sitcom involving a robotics engineer who creates a girl at his factory and brings her home and passes her off as his daughter. Hijinks ensue. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm really worried about where this is going. (laughs) Until the final episode. Basically, throughout the series, Small Wonder wants to be more and more like a real girl, but is always reminded that she is a robot. One day, she watches her sister take a bath and goes out later in the episode and gets muddy. She decides, like a real girl, she's going to have a nice warm bath with candles, but she's a robot. (laughs) The last shot is the father walking in and screaming as he sees smoke and sparks (laughs) erupting from a bath. The end. (laughs) Well, that's two, I don't believe. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, Dinosaurs. The 80s, 90s family sitcom based on animatronic dinosaurs living in an anthropomorphic world, kind of like a cross between the Flintstones and the Simpsons, with the head of the family being kind of a Homer Simpson figure who keeps getting into blunders and japes with his family and hijinks ensue. Until the last episode, when his japes cause a new ice age, leading to the last scene of the episode being him and his family snuggling together and freezing to death as snow blankets the earth, killing the entire cast of the show. <laughs> I don't don't believe any of them. (laughs) Well, interesting fact, I've actually been inside the costume of the daddy dinosaur. Genuinely? Genuinely. Many years ago, I was doing a, I did an advert for Kellogg's, which was the um, Alice in Wonderland, and I was playing the rabbits, and I had to have my face moulded and all that kind of stuff like that, and the company that did it were the people who created the monsters for dinosaurs, and they had the daddy dinosaur in the corner of the room, so I climbed inside it, and they'll wander around. (laughs) True story. I'm pretty sure the, at the end of Dinosaurs, which is a great series, I'm sure the Ice Age comes somehow. And that was the end of it. I mean, it does make sense for yeah. that to be the ending. Yeah. I mean, we all know it was going there. It's basically like ending The Simpsons with Homer causing a nuclear meltdown and killing all of Springfield. I mean, he's nearly done it hundreds mm-hmm. of times. If that's what it takes for them to stop making The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> it's a price worth paying. Alf was a very light-hearted and very, very family-friendly sitcom stroke thing. I remember Alf. I don't... I can't really imagine that him being taken away by the FBI. John, do you know if that was intended as the end of the series as a whole, or if it was supposed to be a cliffhanger? It was supposed to be a cliffhanger, and then the series got cancelled. Oh. <laughs> that that makes it more fun. <laughs> oh, no. Now it's difficult. <laughs> Shit. And the robot one. I hope uh, that's true. I saw this show on TV, and I've still got the theme tune stuck in my head like 30 years, 40 years later. On, do How it, does it do go? It. She's a small wonder, a girl unlike other girls. She's amazing, she's fantastic, and she'll fill your heart with joy. Bluff. <laughs> That's not so, a real song. <laughs> was, was she just played by a, a, a normal little girl, or was she uh, played by a girl covered in tinfoil and in a robot costume? Superman freestyle. It was a normal little girl, but occasionally she'd pull her face off to reveal the robotic innards. <laughs> and like, if she malfunctioned, steam would come out of her ears and shit. <laughs> She'd shit. <laughs> it's a very accurate robot. <laughs> well, you remember Tiny Tears? It was the next logical yeah. step. It's little ball bearings popping out. So, <clears throat> in the entire series, um, before the the fateful final episode, she hadn't got remotely wet. It hadn't rained 
I imagine her being water resistant, so if it rained, maybe not yeah, so much. But, but, but being jumping in a bath, in, ste- steeped in a bath for a long time. Did you not go swimming? I mean, this is like like your iPhone only got waterproof in the last five years. I'm gonna stick my neck out here. I think the dinosaurs one's true. Yeah, I can definitely. Yeah, I would have thought it was meteor or something, yeah. but uh, they, they definitely all died. I th- and I think Alf might have had a. If it was a season cliffhanger, then. Mm. But if it was a true ending, I can't see how they would. Take him away for experimentation. I'm going to go with the uh, the robot girl in the bath is, as being the bluff. I'm going to go with that as the bluff because it's definitely the darkest. Yeah, same here. Uh, I mean, which of those would John have come up yes. with? <laughs> yeah, also, so, I mean, that was also, a, would have been a cliffhanger, but the series was cancelled. No, too late. <laughs> <laughs> what, so, so how would they have continued that then? Dry her out. Put her in a bag of rice. <laughs> You're all correct, yes. Of course we are. I should clarify with Alf, that was the last episode of the series. The series was, was then cancelled, but five years later, they did do Project Alf, a made-for-TV movie where he escaped. <laughs> what was the actual end of Small Wonder? I don't care. Dwindling audience figures, I, th- I believe. <laughs> they, they probably just lost the charger and can order one off the internet, so they just it's le- left in a cupboard like all the other gadgets. <laughs> Ian, what have you got for us? As movies make their way around the world, sometimes the titles need to be reinterpreted to suit the language of the country that they're shown in. Sometimes those translations don't go so well because they don't kind of fit into the, the language or the vernacular. But also sometimes the countries themselves, including the governments, aren't particularly fond of the Hollywood capitalist machine and subvert those titles to show their disdain for them. So what I have for you is three reinterpreted titles of, uh, of famous movies. Uh, number one, this is from China. It's a nice simple one. Uh, the female Ghostbusters remake was called Superpower Dare Die Team. <laughs> Superpower Dare to Die Team. Yeah. Uh, number two, uh, the full Monty in China was called Six Naked Pigs. <laughs> And finally, <laughs> bluff. I'm actually going to give you four just to screw you up. Okay. In Italy, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was renamed If You Leave Me, I Delete You. Oh, quite like that one. <laughs> if You Leave Me, I Delete You. And uh, finally, in Taiwan, Titanic was called Watch for Ice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. Which one of those is the bluff? I think I've heard Six Naked Pigs. Yes, I, that, that does that, ring a bell. The others, I haven't got a clue. I quite like that third one. The, mm, if, if you, you leave, leave me, me, I, I delete, delete you. you. It's memorable. So I'm going to go, that's probably real. Oh, it's too good, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Sort of thing Eden would be very pleased with himself if he came up with. <laughs> what was the <laughs> Ghostbusters one again? Uh, superpower Dare Die Team. Die as in death or as in, di- as in, as in dying. cloth. As in die. <laughs> okay. D- death. It sounds more Japanese than Chinese, but yeah. I guess. Oh, I can't decide. In terms of which is the bluff, I'm torn between if you leave me, I delete you and watch for ice. Watch for ice sounds like someone spent about two seconds thinking of it. Yeah. <laughs> so if it was you. Cheers. <laughs> I came up with this week's a good half hour before. <laughs> Why six naked pigs for the full Monty? I assume there's six of them, and naked makes sense, but pigs? What, what, what the hell's going on there? I, I think probably because, again, because of the, uh, uh, the political climate, China, uh, anything sort of capitalist and, and nudity and those kind of things uh, is a bit disdained on. And so I think that's why they kind of rena- may have renamed it 
don't China only have like a really limited number of Western movies they release? Mm. Like, but I think it's like blockbusters. Mm. So I think as an independent film, and it was a phenomenon at the time, wasn't it? The full Monte. It was becoming so. I imagine they would have wanted to see it. I think I'm. I'm definitely going to go for. If you leave me, I delete you. Because it's too good. Yeah. I'm going to go for. Fuck me an iceberg or whatever the hell it was called. Watch for ice. Fuck ice. me an iceberg. Oh, yeah. Watch for ice. I'm gonna go fuck me an iceberg. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go for Superpower Dead Die Team. Well, the bluff is Titanic. Watch for ice. Oh. That was mine. <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, well, I've got a lot more. Okay, well, if you liked the retitled movies, I actually have a list of them here, and we could do a little quiz. Oh. I will give you the interpretation, and you tell me what the original movie was Okay. via the gift of buzzing in. Peter, would you like to keep score for us? Okay. It will distract him from being able to buzz in. (laughs) So the reinterpretation of the interpretation of famous film movies from across the world. I shall give the the reinterpretation of the interpretation, and you tell me the original movie. What? Exactly. Okay. Okay. Number one. Which movie is this? His powerful device makes him famous. Buzz. Yep. Um, Boogie Nights. Correct. Yes. Uh, number two. I'm drunk and you're a prostitute. Buzz. Oh, I'll just give it to Peter. Just it's a bit quick. I'm going to go Pretty Woman. No, I'm afraid not. I was also going to go Pretty Woman. <laughs> Incorrect. Andy, any ideas? Is it Pretty Woman? No, it's not. Is it lost in translation? It's not. It's leaving Las Vegas. Ah, oh, of course. Credit. Okay, get ready to buzz on this one. <laughs> it's from China. And the, re- the reinterpreted title is... Buzz, Harry Potter. No. Sorry. The reinterpreted title is, He's a Ghost. Buzz. Yes. Is it Ghost? <laughs> no. Buzz. Yes. The Sixth Sense. It is The Sixth Sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. Mysterious Murder in Snowy Cream. Buzz. Fargo? Yes, it is Fargo. <laughs> Next one, get ready to buzz. <clears throat> it's raining falafel. Buzz. Yes. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Correct. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's losing. Okay. <clears throat> Next one. Meetings and failures in meetings. This is from Portugal. Buzz. Four winnings in a funeral. Nope. Buzz. Sleepless in Seattle. No, it's already been mentioned earlier, but it wasn't the right one for that one. Buzz. buzz. Veggie tales. Nope. Pretty woman. Nope. Give up. It is lost in translation. Oh. Meetings and failures wow. and meetings. Next one. This is from Peru. Slightly pregnant. Buzz. Yes. Knocked up. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Next one. If you get this, then you, 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 you must have won. Okay. This is from Spain. And their reinterpretation of the title is The Super Tough Kangaroo. Buzz. Kangaroo Jack? No. Crocodile Dundee? No. Raging Bull. No. No. Buzz. Deep Shot. No. Skippy the movie. No, it's got nothing to do with kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> or any kind of marsupial. Buzz. All the President's Men. No. No, it was the pacifier. Oh, well, that's the comedy with... Vin Diesel. Yeah, yeah, Vin Diesel, where he has, um, he has babies in backpacks on the, back yeah. in the front. So they called him kangaroo. Okay, this one's been mentioned before. <clears throat> I will marry a prostitute to save money. Buzz. <laughs> Pretty woman. Yes, that was right. Yes, that was from I China. Point there. Oh, this is a hard one. This is from Russia. My boyfriend is psycho. 
Buzz. Buzz. Psycho. No. Do I have a clue? No. <laughs> it won a lot of awards. Um, Silence of the Lambs. No. My boyfriend is a psycho. Yeah, it doesn't help. No, no, no. no, no, no. I'll, I'll just tell you, it's Silver Lining Playbook. <laughs> 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 oh, God. <laughs> kind of makes sense in a very politically know, incorrect way. And finally, <clears throat> this is from Taiwan. The unusual interplanetary attack team. Buzz. Guardians of the Galaxy. It is correct. <laughs> oh, nice. That's your interpretations of movies. Oh, very good, thank you. That was a tie. Oh no. Do you have another one? No, I don't. I'll have to look one up. I'll make one up. Make one up. <laughs> okay. Let me think of it. Okay. Can I just graciously cede the win to John so I don't have to go in the back uh, back in the sack of fun? <laughs> That's a great idea. Are you retiring from the competition? Yeah, I will. And what has traumatised you? Well, it would be fucking New Year's Eve. <laughs> this was your, your, your prize for winning the sack of fun last time. Yeah, a couple of episodes ago, I won a quiz and was punished by um, having to go into John's sack and pull out <laughs> New <Year's> something <laughs> disgusting and slimy. And first it was Mrs. Brown's boys, but I threatened to attack everybody. So I got to choose again and I got New Year's Eve, which is uh, it's a film, I think. I, I did watch it, or I watched about an hour and ten minutes of it, and... Um, Hazel threatened to leave you. No, no, she she was having a nap, uh, which was definitely the right idea, and I nearly joined it involuntarily, because the film's, film was so fucking boring. Um, but after I stopped watching it, I went to Wikipedia and read the plot summary, so I feel like I've seen the whole thing. And it's utter shite. Um, <laughs> it's uh, a, a film about New Year's Eve, um, and it's a bunch of different characters with different storylines. There's about eight of them in there. Um, everyone is just there to collect a paycheck, especially Robert De Niro, who plays a cancer patient and was clearly on set for one day and stipulated he's not standing up for the entirety <laughs> of his, his shoot. So he's in bed for most of it and then in a wheelchair at one stage. And he looks like he's just come round from a nap in every single scene. Every character is utterly one-dimensional and has only a single thing about them. Every time you get a character introduced, you immediately find out what their one thing is, and then they have nothing else to do in the film. They just tread water for a bunch of scenes um, with no development whatsoever until the completely inevitable conclusion. So you get someone set up at the start. Ashton Kutcher is the worst um, example of just stating what his thing is. In about his third line of dialogue is, um, hating New Year's Eve is core to my being. Mm -hmm. And, well, there's his thing. Obviously, he's going to be brought around by meeting a lovely girl and kissing at midnight, which is exactly what fucking happens. Um, so it's the, the, the most predictable, formulaic, boring pile of shit I've ever half-watched. Um, so good luck with whatever you choose, John. And I have to say, during that speech, Peter picked up the DVD case of New Year's Eve and looked at it and looked at the face of, actually, I wouldn't mind watching this. I did not. <laughs> also pretty sexist. Um, there's at least a couple of characters in the film whose um, whole thing is that they're women and they have careers and this is oh. wrong and they have to learn to not do this and be satisfied with a relationship with a man instead. How old is this film? Um, it came out in 2011. Uh, Mark, Mark Kermode um, described it as uh, the worst film of 2011. Um, it was nominated for five Razzies, and the only, re only reason it didn't win any of them is because of the existence of Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill. At one point, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, um, whose whole thing is that she's a single mother, and it's difficult, damn it, and she doesn't have time for romance, she's told by her 15-year-old daughter, you're being all clingy and mean, and it's because you don't have a man in your life. 
and this is completely unironic and it's um then kind of shown to be correct at the end and she does find a man and it's all happy and lovely so um uh yeah three stars excellent <laughs> excellent Okay, so we're at a tiebreaker. Oh, so you, I you have to go away with it. <laughs> After all that, don't make him suffer again, John. Another movie translation. This is from Finland this time. The translated title is Rita Hayworth, Key to Escape. Shawshank Redemption. Co- correct. <laughs> Congratulations, Peter, on fucking up the tie rate between me and oh, no, Andy. I did that deliberately. No, no. <laughs> Fortunately, the tie break was worth 10 points no, and Peter won the quiz. No, it wasn't. Here's your copy of New Year's Eve. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I, I, will, I will take one for the team, unless it's Mrs. Brown's boys. <laughs> you shouldn't have put it back in. Should we just you? have a ceremonial burning of that DVD box set? <laughs> just to protect ourselves. What Ooh. have you got, John? I've got the Bigfoot tapes starving nobody. Intense almost made me jump out of my seat, says Ain't It Cool News, hmm. which I believe is also what any woman who spends any time with the owner of Ain't It Cool News um, says, be afraid, be very afraid. So, a tagline from a much better film. Three filmmakers inspired by the story of a Bigfoot sighting in Northern California, following the witnesses' claims that a seven foot beast ripped his dog in half. Oh dear. Stephen, somebody else, and somebody else travel to a county hoping to interview the locals and create a documentary. What starts out as a laughter filled road trip, I'm going to safe to say it probably doesn't soon escalates into a desperate fight for survivors the trio capture a series of disturbing and unfortunate events full of terror torture and abduction which quickly lead to the three of them unwittingly becoming the subject of their own distressing documentary so it's the blair bigfoot project apparently so yeah and it's uh it's, it's only 86 minutes long so that's good. Sadly, <laughs> I've seen this movie. <laughs> no, I've actually seen it. Why? This is one of those things you find as you're you know, searching through things. I quite like Bigfoot, uh, things like that. It's essentially a movie. It is a kind of found footage type movie. Essentially, you get is a massive hairy arm breaking windows and dragging people out of them for 86 minutes. <laughs> That's essentially the film. That's the only bit of the costume they have. I will watch this and I will report back in the next episode. It could, in fact... Based on Ian's um, synopsis, could be my recommendation for the next episode. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why couldn't I have got that? Okay, so that's our episode for this week. If you've enjoyed it, we'd love it if you give us a share on Facebook, um, Instagram, TikTok. TikTok's a thing now, apparently. Um, you can leave us a dance on there. You can send us an email. And if any of you do that, then... Ian Mack, you are going to give a lovely treat to them. I am indeed. I am going to come round to your house, knock gently on the door, and as you open the door, I will sing the theme tune to the 1980s uh, kids' uh, (laughs) domestic comedy about a small girl robot. I can't wait for that to happen. Until next time, you'll be listening to... Middle-aged man, go home. (laughs) That's my translated movie. Ian, damn you! A man who is so glad he didn't win the sack of A man who's going to go home and make sure his toaster isn't suicidal. And a man who's had a lovely time but is now getting an unexpected dark ending. <laughs> Until next time, bye! bye. bye.